0: Let's go. Set it up. Top
1: of the show. Form. Check form. Cover down. Do it again. Run it back. And we'll see you at the show.
2: Welcome to this week's Water Break. This is a podcast about everything in the marching arts you name it, we've probably already planned to talk about it. There is so much that we want to talk about here. We have had some great episodes so far, and we are looking forward to sharing more information, news, and advice with you this week. Joining me this week for a very special on a water break is Beth and a whole panel of amazing guests. Beth, why don't you tell our listeners what this special edition of our podcast is all about?
1: Well, thank you, Jackie, and I'm super excited, and I've been looking forward to this since we even initiated the concept of this podcast, we are talking about women in band. Yes, I said it, women in band. There is plenty to talk about, and we have so many wonderful topics, and, and our guest panel today is off the charts with talent and experience and expertise. Uh, so there's plenty to talk about. So let's go ahead and meet our guests for today. And I'm going to let each guest introduce themselves. And their a little bit of a bio and I'm going to start with Nicole. So Nicole, take it away.
3: Hi, I'm Nicole Younger. Um, I am originally from Virginia, uh, started in marching band in high school as everyone else did. However, I wasn't in color guard when I first started. I was a hornline player. So I played baritone starting in eighth grade, um, all through. Um, My band director actually is now the band director at... uh, Dobbins Bennett High School. It was doing very well. Um, since then, though, I have started doing color guard. I performed um, with a couple of different groups. I'm not going to tell you when I started because that's very telling of my age. And <laughs> <laughs> um, but I am also, I you know, during 2020, every, I pivoted. I took a pivot to the judging side, and I am in my. Second year of doing Winter Guard judging, I am going into trial judging for DCI, and um, yeah, just getting as much info and as I can from that side, and giving as much info as I can from that side of the floor.
1: Well, that's terrific, Nicole. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks. And next, Julie.
4: Hi, I'm Julie Angeles Bowler. I hail from Worcester, or Worcester, Massachusetts. And unlike the rest of our panelists, I didn't start in band. I actually grew up playing and drum and bugle course. And I did that throughout my childhood all the way until, I won't say the year either, but the, I'll give you the Boston Crusaders 50th anniversary. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> um, so for me, band was new in college. I was really fortunate, went to the University of Massachusetts where I studied music education, had a fantastic band program. And while the Minutemen Band is fantastic, I just did one year because I wasn't marching anymore. So I did wind ensemble and I played in chamber groups and did the American Wind Symphony for a summer. And I thought, oh, I'm well on my way to doing this performing thing. Maybe I'll get the orchestra gig. And the irony is that 11 years of drum corps, nine of which were spent playing snare drum, helped me get my job in the U.S. Army Band, which I retired from two years ago. So I kind of came to band in a different way. I grew up in the marching arts, but from the drum corps background and not even so much DCI, more um, small scale, local run drum corps that was in a circuit that no longer exists. Now, as an adult, I do still perform in an orchestra. I play with the Maryland Symphony Orchestra and I play with various freelance groups, but the best fantastic, most awesome gig I could have hoped for is the one that I think kind of dinged you guys to let let you know that women are doing this. Um, I got the Tiffany spot with the brass band of Battle Creek. And that is a fantastic band made up of all stars from all over the world. Yay! And I'll talk about her later, but I have a very good friend of mine, Gail Robertson to thank for that. So um, I will do the drum roll for the next person
1: and welcome Amy. Amy, Dr. K, I think we might call you. Go ahead and introduce yourself now to the to the group.
0: Thank you, Beth. Hello, everyone. Yes, my name is Dr. Amy Knops. I am the Associate Director of Bands and Director of Athletic Bands at the University of Missouri, where one of my roles in Our School of Music is to direct Marching Mizzou, our marching band here at the university. I also teach courses in our music education curriculum, such as conducting both the undergraduate and graduate level. uh, And I conduct our second concert band titled Symphonic Band, which is one of three that we have here at the University of Missouri. Prior to my appointment here, which is home for me, I'm an alumna of the University of Missouri. I earned my bachelor's degree in music education here at Mizzou. Uh, But again, directly Prior to this position, I served for seven years at, in a similar role: associate director of bands, director of athletic bands, and associate professor of music at Eastern Michigan University. So, I my one of my colleagues is Gail there. So, I was when he said when you said Gail's name. So, so fortunate, you know, to have taught in that area for a number of years. So, I know everything that what you just talked about, <laughs> um, but. I grew up in- See,
1: We bring people together. You no, know, it's great.
0: I grew up in Missouri. Uh, Lee Summit specifically is where I'm from. It's on the southeastern portion of Kansas City. And really fortunate to have grown up in such a rich environment for not only the marching arts, but I was also involved in full orchestra from an early age, sixth grade honor orchestra all the way up through my high school experience. I was an all-state orchestra. And also on the choir side as well. And my pedigree, again, is University of Missouri. Then I taught uh, high school and middle school in the Kansas City area before going over to the University of Kansas, where I was a student of Dr. John Lynch's. Uh, They're at KU. Then I went to the University of Georgia for my DMA before Again, moving up to Michigan. Dale Lawness was my first conducting teacher here at the University of Missouri. So proud to be with all of you today.
1: Well, we are super excited to have this, this esteemed, distinguished panel and just such a diverse and exciting opportunity to talk about the history of well, our relative histories, but also what it means to be a female in this in this particular activity and and what what that might bring to it and what, what experiences shape who you are today and how you've become, you know, the positions that you've had in, in this field. So I guess, you know, I'd like to start maybe with Julie. I'm going to go back to Julian. What's maybe the first time you realized that you might be in the minority in, in the sense that, you know, when you're taking leadership roles within an, an orchestra or, or an ensemble that it tended to be male dominated. And, you know, what were your thoughts and, and, feelings about that?
4: I would definitely say it wasn't until the mid-90s. I was about to move down to Houston, Texas. I got my master's degree at Rice University. And the summer before that, I played with the American Wind Symphony Orchestra. And Robert Boudreau, who I believe is still alive at age 90, was the conductor. And I was the only woman that made it through the entire summer. We would always hear the story about him firing somebody or somebody would inevitably leave. So the other woman in the section left, and I never really found out what happened. So that was my first eye-opening experience, and I found that to be the case with every single summer festival I ever did. I did the National Repertory Orchestra, the National Orchestral Institute. These are all non-marching things because I was cramming it all in after 11 years of drum corps. Uh, Pacific Music Festival, the Spoleto Festivals, and not one of those was there another woman percussionist. So I hadn't been used to that because the drum corps that I grew up in had a lot of girls. We, we were predominantly girl-heavy. In fact, the snares and the tenors were all the girls except for my little brother. So it was the mid-'90s that opened my eyes to that. I was fortunate enough to have other women in the studios when I went to school, But I didn't think any of them were as motivated to become performers. They were fantastic and are still fantastic teachers. But it was a very, uh, how shall I say it, Um, shocking, just shocking for me to see that they didn't look like me. And I didn't understand why that was the case. So I was really lucky to go to Houston where I met Christina Carroll and Nancy Nelson and Lovey Smith and all these professional women percussionists, and even though they weren't from the marching arts, they all had professional performance degrees. They were playing in the ballet and the symphony. Christina is still principal percussionist of the Ballet Orchestra down in Houston, and she's in her 60s. So that situation changed my life. And then, as a woman in the army band, uh, and I, I'm okay, not, I'll, I'll disclose it, 25 years ago, no. <laughs> uh, but in 1997, I won an audition and became the first woman to finish my career as a percussionist in the Army. But I want to make that really clear.
0: Yes.
4: Thank you. Uh, there were a couple of women before me, and unfortunately, one of them passed away, but I did get to meet the second one and learn from her experiences the kinds of difficulties that she faced. And for me, those things happened in my career, but not until I had a kid. So I know we're going to go into that later on in the podcast, but at age 40, I had a child, and it was a game changer. So um, I know there's a young woman there right now, Sidoni Wade, and she's fantastic. She's almost 20 years younger than I am. And I think if I hadn't made such a loud, bombastic New England <laughs> voice about the, <laughs> the difficulties of being a woman professionist, lactating and marching and trying to carry <laughs> drums post-pregnancy. I mean, I can laugh about it now, but it wasn't funny sure. at the time. Yeah, She wouldn't have had that ability to say, hey, guys, I'm still breastfeeding. You might not want me to carry a drum until that part of that mothering is done. And she's fantastic. This girl is. She's like super fit, CrossFit, all that stuff. But you know, our bodily functions are different at that time. So that
1: absolutely that was a
4: big game changer for me.
1: Um, but I well, thank you, Julie. That's really that's really enlightening, and I I think it's something we can all take away. And it sounds like your perseverance and determination to to continue your passion and what you love to do, I'm sure that helped to drive you to that to that level of success and. You know the role models you have are really important. Um, Dr. Knops, did you have a role model like that in your in your history and, and experience?
0: Absolutely, I was really fortunate growing up in Lee Summit that I had female identifying teachers, and so for me, I grew up in that environment seeing these role models. And I mean, as we all know, representation matters, and and so for me, I was like, well. This, of course, is an option. I have female identifying conductors that I've worked with from a moment one, you know, of my fifth grade band experience through middle school. It wasn't it was honestly wasn't until high school that I had a male identifying, you know, lead band director. So I was really fortunate. And someone who's very dear to me is Ann Goodwin Clark who was my cooperating teacher when I did my student teaching experience. Um, It is an incredible pedagogue, incredible director, and really took me under her wing as I was a developing director, of course, my student teaching experience, but also as I was growing up and finding my way in the Kansas City metro area where – I mean, female identifying conductors were, were basically non-existent.
1: (laughs) Mm, Sure. And by the time you get to the collegiate level, did you find, you know, when did you decide that you wanted to pursue a career in academia? And then what happened when you had those role models? And, And what was your experience at that level?
0: Sure. Well, when I started my, my teaching career at Center High School as, as their director of bands, and again, can, you know, started my, my program there. Well, the program had obviously been established for, for many years, but my portion of the program, uh, I was very lucky to have met uh, John Lynch, who My assistant at the time, you know, he had mentioned, hey, there's this new director of bands at the University of Kansas. Let's bring him out. What would you know, it would be great to have him work with our students. And, of course, as a first-year teacher, absolutely. Let's bring him in. And and we developed a professional relationship. And then uh, he turned to me and he's like, you're doing great things, you know, here in this band program. Have you ever thought about coming or going to grad school? It's like, well, sure, but I want to teach for longer. And fast forward, I ultimately ended up going, you know, and earning a position in a studio. And then I just fell in love with teaching at the collegiate level. As I progressed through my assistantship at the master's degree, and again, at the doctoral level, that once I earned my DMA from the University of Georgia, that is what I wanted to do is I just I felt in love with teaching on that level. And I also wanted to be leading uh, a power five top level marching band. And so that
1: gives me goosebumps. That's so great. Like hearing that drive and that, that determination, that's good stuff. That is, and that's, I think, you know, as females, we can encourage more female identifiers to lean into that, listen to that part of their their insides and listen to that voice and really embrace it and and be fearless it's okay Absolutely.
0: and i was really fortunate to just i guess i mean i was just naive i just i didn't realize it wasn't an option you know for me there you go right me i mean i was just being who i was being a strong leader and you know like okay let's go (laughs) and so sometimes
1: that's what it takes exactly this is great. And and Nicole, did you did you have any kind of like aha moments like that, you know, as you were progressing through your career earlier on? And what you know, what, what are some moments that might stand out for you as, you know, role models or really cool experiences that made you go, yeah, I, w- I want to keep doing this and I want to keep moving forward.
3: It's so funny because the way I started in the marching band and any of the pageantry activity is that <clears throat> I was in high school And honestly, I think almost every, I started out on clarinet, you know, everyone gives you a clarinet first, you know, and I was like, yeah, read instrument. And I got on the field and I was just like, "Um, no one's giving a clarinet a solo here. I (laughs) I don't want this. And so um, I was like, okay, well, what about a baritone? And my assistant band director at the time was just very much like, I think you can handle this. And so um, it was it took a lot of lessons and it took a lot of me doing it by myself. But I completely switched over to baritone, not just for marching band, but for concert band, symphonic band and everything else. And at that time, I was like, okay, I want to be a band director because my very first band director was a woman in middle school. You know, and she, terrific, yeah. Oh my gosh, she was just so encouraging, and yes, wanted me to stay on clarinet, but I was just like, "Uh, I am a low brass person. Um, But as that went on, and even through different things, like. When I first started doing color guard, I was 19. And so, looking around in different guards at that time, I did not see a lot of women that looked like me or a lot of kids that looked like me. Anytime there were little, I call it chocolate drops in other color guards, I would be like, oh, friend, friend, hi, hi, you look like me. And so, anytime in, and I could see them, that's why, like, South Shore was always a guard that I'd be like, oh my goodness, that's amazing. And Light brigade! Oh, my goodness. So those people are amazing. They look like me. I need to be able to do those things that they're doing. And, you know, and as the years went on, you know, there were more, you know, more and more people that looked like me. And as you know, you get older, you start to teach. And then you see more people on the other side of the floor who look like you. And the only thing that I didn't see on the other side of the floor was someone who looked like me. However, I was very much inspired by nola jones every time she would make a tape um anytime i would see her in critique for dci she is one of those people who would speak to you not at you um you know what i mean like she just had a very comforting way about herself and she is actually that same way with now taking me under her wing for judging so there's a lot of and and you know dr said it too. um, representation does matter. Like, um, right now out in the judging side of things, I don't, I don't see anyone that looks like me and no one, again, no one told me you, you can't do it. So I was just like, great, well, I'm going to do it. <laughs> so yeah. Um, I would, I, I would say that that was, that was a big deal.
4: Um, uh, I just wanted to plug in that even though it's been a few decades, I never had a woman judge me in DCI. oh really that's probably because I was on the percussion side of it are Mm -hmm. there women judging percussion now
3: not that I well Nola does okay she does Mm -hmm. I know that she does she does this indoor percussion and um so we're there yeah but yeah that is a that's lacking having women on uh, you know in that caption that is lacking
2: All right, it has been great to get to know you guys and hear some about your background and your inspirations. And let's go ahead and get rehearsal started and we'll continue talking when we come back.
5: On a Water Break is teaming up with Style Plus, Guard Closet and Marching Arts Education to do some great giveaways this winter. The first is two $500 scholarships to two performers in an independent percussion wins or color guard competing in WGI this winter. That's right. One for a guard person and one for a wins or percussion individual. If that's not amazing enough, we will also be awarding to two groups, a set of 20 style plus performance tops, or a set of 20 unitards, one set of unitards for the winning color guard and one set of performance tops to a wins or percussion group. Check out more information about this opportunity on our website at onawaterbreak.com. Everyone that registers will receive a free month of service from Marching Arts Education and all their amazing educational offerings. The winners will also be invited to be panelists on our podcast throughout the winter season. You'll tell us about your experiences as a performer and your insights into what's happening in the marching arts. Again, check out our website at onawaterbreak.com for information about applying for these opportunities.
1: Okay, kids, take 10. We are back with our amazing guests today on On a Water Break podcast, Uh, Dr. Amy Knops, the Associate Director of Band and Director of Athletic Bands at the University of Missouri. We've got Julie Angeles Bowler. She is the former principal timpanist, retired at U.S. Army Band Pershing's Own, and currently the principal timpanist for the brass band of Battle Creek. And last but certainly not least, we have Nicole Younger, who is a color guard adjudicator, and she is the founder of The Cookout. Okay, so we're back. And and oh, my gosh, we had such a great we were on such a great momentum when we when we cut to our last break. And I think we just need to pick it right back up from where we were, what we were talking about. And, you know, all of our your collective experiences and aha moments and what that all meant for you. And Julie, you were starting to share a little bit about your experience in the army and what kind of um, distinctions and differences there might've been in terms of uh, gender identity and, and how the army might've addressed that.
2: Yes.
4: So having started in drum corps at age eight, I wore a uniform for my entire childhood. Never once did they say, Girls wear this uniform, boys wear this uniform. And that was the advantage of growing up in the 80s, was that my mom and her sisters and all the women from the all-girl drum corps said, we aren't, we're not going to march in boots anymore. But for real, they just said, no, there's no reason for that. The chafing, I mean, I've mean, got great stories of my mother talking about, oh, good God, that parade, I had like red marks on my legs for hours. So we oh, were God, so that thankful so much. that that didn't happen as a kid. Now, fast forward to the 90s, I'm in the Army band, and I get issued a skirt. And I thought, oh, well, what's that for? Oh, well, you know, for those special occasions. <laughs> <laughs> special occasions? What is this? Like, I, I don't know. Anyway, so I wrapped it up. I rolled <laughs> it in a ball, and I threw it in the back of my locker where it stayed for quite some time until a certain person took charge of the band. And I almost had to wear it for a concert at a Catholic high school because the band director wanted all the women in skirts. So I thought, well, how do I play the timpani in skirt and heels? And somebody actually had the audacity to ask me if I wanted to switch and play percussion on that concert, as if I wanted to play percussion in a skirt and heels. No, thank you. Not to detract from any <laughs> women percussions out there that <laughs> prefer heels and whatever. I know there's girls out there that can do it brava but not me so i actually became the first woman who was allowed to never have to wear the skirt well that kind of stirred up the flame in some of them in a good way the next thing you know the english horn player was like i have to open my legs and put that between there a a tuba player we didn't have one in the army band But I know Jan Duga really well. She had to wear these culotte things in the Air Force. So why is it that we differentiate between women and men in the uniforms? I also had touched on the fact that women had smaller rank. 25 years ago, I was issued a uniform. I looked at this guy who was two inches shorter than me standing next to me in a ceremony. I said, wait a minute. Why is my rank smaller than your rank? because you're a girl and I'm a boy. No, I mean, I'm being facetious now. It doesn't make any sense. So eventually, these are things that did change. I might not have gone about it the right way in my 20s, but I'm really happy to see that the girls no longer have to wear smaller rank than the boys or the uniform buttoned on opposite sides. That is so archaic. That comes from when women were dressed by other people. So, our uniforms are jackets all buttoned opposite the men's. Uniform comes from the word uniformity. So, I, I
2: just, <laughs> as a kid in the
4: 80s, I never thought that would be an issue. But, you know, the military's catching up with it. And I'm happy to see that things are changing. That's amazing. I never did. Not just in not just marching band, but even on the professional level. Yeah.
3: yeah. I've never even thought about that, like the way you brought that up about how they're buttoned on different yes. sides. Like now I'm going to be looking
1: for it. So, so Dr. Dr. Knops, I'm curious, you know, in, in your, in your experience, um, who do you think, who inspires you like today, like in, in your career, you know, you've achieved a, a very, dis- very high distinction within your field with a really, you know, majorly visible program who who do you get inspired by where do you turn to for that kind of juju if you will for your you know your next you know program your next year what 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 gets you what gets you going
0: honestly my students we have incredibly smart
1: That's awesome.
0: students who push me every day to be better they and and, and thankfully we have fostered an environment here where I am welcoming of their feedback. You know, I want, I mean, because this is my band family, you know, here at the university of Missouri and I want it to be the absolute best experience possible for them. And I don't have all the right answers. This is a collective, you know, if I can do absolutely anything to heighten their experience and make it better, tell me, I want to know, you know, every year I want to push us higher and higher. And so I, you know, get great inspiration from them because they, they're, again, they're smart. They challenge me. They, they, Thankfully, are dedicated greatly to our program, are very passionate about it. They understand the history here, the tradition of excellence, and they know with each year, and this is the 137th year of March of Mizzou, and I do the band thing, band 137, next year it's going to be band 138, just so they have an awareness of their place in that overall history. And I get inspired by them every single day and i want to be better for them every single day but of course i'm inspired greatly by my colleagues who are much smarter than i am and they push me and i hear about great things that they're doing in their programs and and when we see each other we always talk and you know digest and, and okay let's let's collaborate and but where all all of us are centered and really focused on the student experience. That's really funny, like everything that you
3: just said, because it's like what inspires you. I think we're in an activity where there's very little that doesn't inspire. Mm-hmm. Like, it comes from every place and everything, like honestly, being on a podcast like this right now with all these women, like, hello,
0: I mean, <laughs> yeah, right. and we're lucky because we're in, we're obviously in a subjective art form, we chase excellence, you know, nothing will ever be perfect you know, and, and that's by design. It's, it's, it's what it is. I mean, uh, what we do is an expression of the human condition. Mm -hmm. Perfection does not exist. And so there's always an opportunity to be better, you know, and, and to, again, chase the absolute highest level execution that we can. So we know that with that growth mindset, there's always an opportunity to do it better. And I tell our students here, you know, why do you take my job and do a lot better job of it than I'm doing? So,
4: I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live long enough to see the Army Band 100th anniversary. I'm telling you, I probably will live to be 100-something because they just celebrated the 100th. So I, I'm talking of the 150th. So when I'm like 100... Anyway, my... Dream is to see an all-women percussion section or the majority women. If that happens, then I can just... It could happen. Go to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) But it really is so different. After 100 years in that organization, there were so few women. They've only just
6: Mm -hmm.
4: kind of touched the tip of the iceberg. And I'm seeing that change Mm -hmm. in various groups that I play with. I'm really fortunate to play with an orchestra that has a woman music director, and Elizabeth Schultz is fantastic. Even though she doesn't march, she understood the importance of bringing in a drum line for our youth concerts, and there's a piece Mm -hmm. out there, I'm so sorry, I don't remember who composed it, but it was somebody up either at Juilliard or somewhere in New York City, it features a marching drum line. So it's geared towards the kids Mm -hmm. in the audience participating with the orchestra on stage, and the drum line comes out, and it just ties it all together, and I just say brava to whoever composed it and for the orchestras that are doing these pieces to show it's not just marching anymore and it's not just orchestral anymore. It really is all
2: intertwined. Well, we started talking before the break a little bit about uh, motherhood and family life and how that can have kind of an effect on, you know, your career. I've watched so many, you know, I'm a color guard instructor. I've been a color guard instructor for a really long time now. and. I've watched a lot of color guard instructors come and show a lot of promise and then decide to step out whenever they have their family life. And I kind of always have been like, oh, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be that because I love what I do so much. I want to be able to keep going even while I'm building family. You know, how have you guys found that balance in your different roles between your family, your full-time career, and how have you kind of stayed away from that sort of uh, stereotypical you know womanly thing with when it comes to like having to change your priorities with your career um uh,
4: i'm just now rebounding my daughter's a sixth grader and i'm 51 so i had already been in the army band for quite some time when i got pregnant and had a child and was also taking care of an ailing parent so it was extremely difficult and lack of good leadership close to me made my job almost impossible. But I always say my mother who was still alive at the time used this term. I think I can say this in a podcast, right? It's called piss and vinegar. You know, you've got to find that from within you. If it's there, no matter how much they knock you down, you know, it's like being a weeble wobble. You just come back up. And sure we all have our battle scars we've all had our differences things that i did pre-pregnancy i have had to go back and apologize to moms and say i am so so sorry i didn't understand what you're going through i didn't understand until it happened to me so that's a whole other thing perhaps we can have a network so that moms who went through it don't feel so alone i remember searching the internet saying. What the, what the hell is this carpal t- pregnancy carpal tunnel? <laughs> what? what does that mean? I don't I've have it I had anymore.
2: to Google so many things. <laughs> but my body,
4: I was almost 200 pounds. I mean, look at me. I don't look that big now. So at the time, I was so swollen. I had edema beyond anything I'd ever experienced. My joints, everything ached. And I would go to bed in braces. I could barely drum. One hand came back before the other one. I remember doing most of it with one hand because I could barely get the other hand to work. So I had nobody to really talk to about that. Here we are all these years later. I hope that that young woman I mentioned earlier, if she goes through any of these issues can reach out to me and say, Julie, what did you do when you put that sling on that boob and things just weren't right? Or sure. tried to pick up the symbols and you realize, Whoa, things have shifted I mean, it sounds comical to me now, but it wasn't funny. It wasn't funny when I went to try to crash the cymbals and I realized I had more weight there or things were just in different places. And even carrying Timothy around to gigs now, I do things very differently. I'm more cognizant of the fact that my body has changed. My lifestyle has changed. If you don't have family, you have to create family. You have to have friends somebody that you can rely on nice, to help. Yes, be, yes. We're not superwomen. We'd love to all be superwomen, but here's here's a telling thing. I didn't drink coffee before pregnancy. Now I need my coffee. So caffeine, <laughs> if that's your vice, we all have to have something. There has to be some little kick that makes it, oh, I see, somebody's got their cup of coffee. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I <hope> that, oh, <laughs> and, so, uh, You know, uh, it's right here at yeah, all times. But
4: it, it really was... Uh, life-changing and even now i mean my daughter is old enough that we can leave her at home for a few hours i mean i've got to go to rehearsal tonight she knows okay if the cats meow feed the cats take a shower by a certain time (laughs) don't eat all the hidden candy definitely don't look at the christmas presents you know i don't even know how to do that going don't eat the cat food you know don't go in the toilet they're, they're just things that you learn and it It gets better with age and it gets easier, but we're not super
1: women.
2: It's
1: not for the faint of heart, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. It's not for the faint of heart. And it's all about finding that support. It's that support team, though. And I think, you know, whether you're a mother, whether you're balancing a hobby, whether you're balancing a career and home and ailing parents, you know, we all are pulled in different directions. I think it's important to identify that we're not alone. And asking for help is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of, you know, hey, let's get this. It takes a village concept.
2: Absolutely. You know,
1: and, and you yeah. know, Dr. Knops, I'm sure you've experienced certain balancing situations as well.
0: Yes, absolutely. I am a mother of two furry children. <laughs> <laughs> never been married. <laughs> never been married. I don't have children of my own. But I was the primary caregiver uh, for two ailing parents. And it was incredibly difficult. You find strength that you never knew you had existed within you because they're your they're your parents, and you'll do whatever you can for them. And uh, my mom lived longer than than my father, but uh, it was an incredible balance to. And make sure that you are there for your ailing parent. You are providing them, you know, with as great of a quality of life as possible. My mom had a stroke when she was in 2008, blood on both sides of the brain uh, was, it, it was not mobile. Um, and it was very trying, you know, and On the personal side of things, you know, I made a decision a long time ago. It was kind of like an opportunity to, you know, be involved in a great relationship and potentially go down the path of get married or really the start of my career. And I chose to come over here to the career side of things and, um, just move forward with that, you know, side and, and stay really focused on amassing my career, um, so I can only speak to the the demands of, of of my parents, you know, and how that impacted my career program.
4: Literally got married the first time and said, no, I don't want kids. I'm all about my career. I just want to play drums. This is my life. I'm going to retire, move to Florida. Things change. <laughs> uh, I got pregnant late in life, right. uh, married to a wonderful, hardworking young man who is a great dad and Let's me do things like hijack his computer for the afternoon or go off to Battle Creek, Michigan for four days and drink with the boys or whatever it is that is going to make me happy, <laughs> especially socially, he gets it. So um, you have to, if, whether you're married or not, whether you've got kids or not, you have to find a partner and people in your life that will support you and support what you're trying to do. It is so incredibly important
3: really is. Mm-hmm. I do think that with all three of us, like with what's going on, like, well, just hearing from you both, because like, I don't have kids either. Um, we do have a Jack Russell at home. Um, sometimes I claim him, sometimes I don't, um, <laughs> but like, there was a point in my color guard career when I was performing and I was living in New York cause so I was with Patriots and, um, my mom had gotten sick. She had gotten colon cancer. Uh-huh. And so like, you don't think about those things. You just move home and you do it because these right. are your parents and they did it for you. Yep. And you know, from there you take a pivot. And honestly I went, that was my pivot from performing to teaching because um, I took care of her until she passed away. Mm-hmm. But and I went straight into teaching wow. right after that. And like did not look back and it was just like a driving force. So absolutely. Yeah.
2: I think there's something to be said that you don't know what's going to happen in your life. And and there's been such a longstanding idea that once you get into your late twenties or you're 30 years old, you're like old and your life is over. And it's like, it's not, once you get older and more mature, you're like, you never know what's going to happen. You never know what's going to change. And and I think, you know, Julie, you talked about having your kids late in life. I definitely, my, I had my first kid at 35 and it's like, There's so many other ways your life could change. There's so much more you can do. So I I think it's just great to be able to have role models like you guys who have had such diverse backgrounds and getting to this point, you know, you're such great uh, role models for everybody who's listening to our podcast for me, of course, (laughs) but for everybody who's listening to the podcast. Me too. (laughs) so before we wrap up this rehearsal chunk it is time for text a friend this is the time we're going to get our trivia question from our producer jeremy and then we have one minute to try to get one of our friends to text us the answer bonus points if we can get the person on the phone and there's oh my gosh there's a lot of us playing today this is this is going to be a race with this one so let's play text a friend
5: I was going to say this is going to be a race. I feel like this is an amazing panel um, with this question. Um, this is a very appropriate question. All right. I hope that everybody on the panel can say that they know without googling it. I'm sure at least half of us will be able to, at least some of us. Um, but I'm curious as to who, if your text a friend, will be able to know this. So the simple question is, who is the first? identifiable female composer in the history of Western music.
4: Oh, it's that woman that did like electronic music. I just saw a post about her and I don't remember her name.
2: That one. <laughs> you got to get Not your friend a, You got to get yeah, your uh, friend around to answer it.
1: This is handle, your uh, help, help, help. <laughs> this uh, is your text, to
5: friend. Your, first, the first identifiable... Woman composer in the history of Western oh, okay. music. I now David I will Sanders tell you this
4: question. Cause he shared that. Oh,
5: where is he? Well, she died in
4: 1179. Okay. What? <laughs> 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 oh, I'm talking about that one that they just showed <laughs> on not- the web. The, no.
5: First, first, get your text a friend. Who's you got? My ears? <laughs> she oh, was, she was, she was, she lived from 1098 to 1179. Oh, Professor Eisenstein <laughs> so knows, answer, I'm, I'm yeah. fairly certain Dr. Knopps knows this oh, one.
0: Do <laughs>
5: <laughs> <The same thing laughs> you got your tech to friend though, Dr. Knopps? You got that oh, answer from that? <laughs> I think
0: I've
5: got
3: it. <laughs> Can <laughs> who, we just who,
5: say who,
3: it?
5: Who's got it? Who's got it? Nicole. Oh, oh, Nicole, the color guard oh, person's coming in the
3: text what? it's my app? Yep, it's my texter friend. It's his name's Justin. He's on the, um, our marching council leadership council with me. He said the first female composer of record is, uh, is it Hilgard Van Biggen? Yeah.
2: We yeah.
3: <laughs>
1: not have
5: time
1: to text, to actually text the question.
0: <laughs>
5: well, well, I, I I appreciate everybody playing the lovely text a friend. Great job, everybody. I knew I knew Dr. Kudoft. I knew you'd be right in there with it. I knew you'd I knew you'd have. It. I knew you'd be right in there. But I wanted to see the text a friend who would get it. And I I love and appreciate that Nicole has actually even redeemed herself because I think the last question you missed, Nicole, was a color guard question. So uh,
3: <laughs> it was a color guard question. My person got it wrong,
4: but I had it right. <laughs> When did WGI go to drums? As a kid growing up, WGI was Winter Guard International, and all of a sudden, not drums competing. What? When
2: did that happen? Dude, we have wins competing. Don't too. tell Julie about Winter Wins. Yep. <laughs> that was too quick.
5: <laughs> all right. Well, back to you, Jackie.
2: All right, everyone. It is a time for another amazing woman to give us some of her thoughts. That's right. It is time to hear from the band mom herself, Leander Mama, Cindy Berry.
6: Hello again, everyone. Leander Mama here with another Mama Minute for you. Have you ever heard a mom of a large family say to someone about her children? Why, yes, they are all mine. Well, this is never more true than when it comes to marching band moms. As we honor women in the marching arts on this week's podcast, I just have to talk a little bit about band moms, the heroes behind the marching bands. When I first joined the ranks of band moms at Leander, I truly didn't know how much my life was going to change. I came into the program as a former band and color guard kid myself, but also as a sports mom who truly just had no idea what being a band mom would be like. I think I started to get a clue at my first high school band parent meeting when I saw table after table of moms signing up other moms for all types of band duties. In my time at Leander, I was a water hauler, an ice refiller, a fruit supplier, a baker, an errand runner, a uniform mender, ironing lady, fundraiser, chauffeur, and sometimes an ATM machine. But those aren't really the things I did as a band mom that I remember most. What I remember most is being in the stands and cheering at every single football game, standing in hot band parking lots, watching the kids learn and perfect their marching drill, sitting in stadiums in all types of weather, and being absolutely amazed at the incredible marching shows that teenagers were able to put together in just a few short months every fall. Band kids truly are amazing. But they can't do what they do without all of the support and work behind the scenes of the band moms. Today, I just want all of the band moms out there to know we see you. We see you in the stands cheering at both home and away games. We see you fully investing in your child as both an encourager in the stands and a hard worker behind the scenes. We see you stepping in and being a mom to someone whose mother might not be available. We see your happy tears when your child succeeds, and we see your heartbreak when they are hurt or experience great disappointment. We see all of the sweat and blood you pour into your child's band program. We see you, and we recognize the true marching band heroes that you are. So do me a favor today. If you are a child in the band, go and hug a band mom and just tell them how much you appreciate them. That's all for today, but stay tuned for more Mama Minutes on future podcasts where I get to talk about all things band-related. Have a great week, everyone.
5: On a Water Break is teaming up with Style Plus, Guard Closet, and Marching Arts Education to do some great giveaways this winter. The first is two... $500 scholarships to two performers in an independent percussion wins or color guard competing in WGI this winter. That's right. One for a guard person and one for a wins or percussion individual. If that's not amazing enough, we will also be awarding to two groups, a set of 20 style plus performance tops, or a set of 20 unitards, one set of unitards for the winning color guard and one set of performance tops to a wins or percussion group. Check out more information about this opportunity on our website at onawaterbreak.com. Everyone that registers will receive a free month of service from Marching Arts Education and all their amazing educational offerings. The winners will also be invited to be panelists on our podcast throughout the winter season. You'll tell us about your experiences as a performer and your insights into what's happening in the marching arts. Again, check out our website at onawaterbreak.com for information about applying for these opportunities.
2: Oh, thank you so much, Cindy. That is so sweet. I feel that as a mom. Uh, now it's time for quick chunks with gush and goes. This is the time of rehearsal where our staff get to gush and go on for thirty seconds about anything they want to, having to do with the marching arts.
1: Let's go. Okay, well I'll get started. I just wanted to. This is Beth. I wanted to gush and go a little bit. The Tournament of Roses Parade obviously is coming up this winter, and I kind of have I call it dual citizenship because I attended two different universities, and I'm proud that Penn State is actually my that's my second um, second citizenship so to speak um Penn State is going to the Rose Bowl this year and so they're going to get to march in the Tournament of Roses Parade so I've got a vested interest in the parade for like the next three years I think with with ensembles that are marching and after our talk with Dr. Knopf about Knopf about um the Macy's Parade and Jackie's experience with the Macy's Parade and we've got the Tournament of Roses Parade we've got some big heavy hitters going on in our little world just even within our podcast family so I'm, I'm really excited about that and Anybody who's ever tried to go to one of those performances knows it is a lot of work. And sometimes, like, if you're a college band like like Penn State, they didn't even know they were going to be marching in that parade until, like, a week ago. So they have a very short window of time to get very ready for a big performance. And I always think that's amazing.
3: I will gush next. (laughs) Okay, so uh, the cookout um, is a as a um, event that's actually going on the day after WGI. So it is April 16th. It's going on from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. It is a celebration of people of color in Color Guard. It is for everyone, for us to make a melting pot of uh, goodness and celebration. We're going to have presenters, speakers. We also have a Legacy Award winner. Um, Last year, it was the director of the Light Brigade. She has been with the Light Brigade for 36 years Oh, so good. And wow. she's, she's, yeah, I love her. Um, and uh, we are going to be giving away um, not only one scholarship this year, but three scholarships. So if anybody wants to actually donate to the scholarship fund, it, um, it is the Cookout 22. That is our cash app. So you can drop some money in there for some deserving uh, kids that we're going to be giving scholarships to.
4: Woohoo. All right. I'm next, huh? Okay. So even though it's not marching, I've got to plug May 20th, Brass Band of Battle Creek, fantastic band. We just had Principal Trombonist of the New York Phil, Joe Alessi, come and play with us. And in the spring, we're going to have a black female clarinetist who is the most amazing person you will ever hear down from New Orleans. Probably march up the East Coast or all the way to the West, wherever the hell we are. But she <laughs> is unbelievable. If you go to the website, you can see a clip of her playing. And with that, I'm going to go out drumming.
3: <laughs> Woo! Yes, <that's, laughs> this
1: is crazy. You're to see that. There virtual <laughs> to there, hey! so got, <laughs> I got to go to a gig. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Bye, Julie. Okay. Bye. Bye, bye. Julie. <laughs> I
2: I just want to gush about this panel because oh my gosh, talking to these incredible women today, like I, like I've been really excited about this since we just first discussed the idea, of, like I don't know what is it, a week ago or something, and just seeing other women like pushing pushing the ranks so to speak and like getting you guys uh y- you know making your own place in the world and making your own place in the marching world it's just it's such an inspiration to me because we don't always get to connect with each other like this and no that's is, very
3: true that's great. I mean it's just like I just have tended to meet all of these women um through you know zooms or podcasts and it's just like can I please meet
2: you in person <laughs> <laughs> So maybe we all need to come to
1: the cookout too. <laughs> hey, you should. I think it would be fun. I, I'm just, I am. I think I'm just blown away. And and I'm, you know, stunned into silence is not a good thing for a podcast where you should be talking, but boy, <laughs> this is really, it's just so, so juicy. I think, of, uh, you know, what we've talked about and the content of today, I think is good for the vibe that we have here, but I think, you know, our listeners are going to be, um, so excited to be able to, to hear female identifying voices and what they've experienced and also provide maybe a little maybe inspiration, not to sound too self-important, but the idea that they can draw from this energy and take it to their own programs and their experiences and hopefully build, you know, build on that. So I'm really excited about about releasing this one. I really am. I'm really Yeah, this is so
2: great. I'm just, I'm so, so, so excited about it.
1: Okay. Those are some great gush and goes. Let's continue our discussion though from before with our panelists and talk more about, you know, what's to come, you know, in the activity. And Nicole, you know, you're an adjudicator um, and, you know, you're always, you know, obviously you're giving feedback on a recording device, but where do you see, your role beyond that, like what? What do you think the adjudicator's role is beyond the recording?
3: Um, hmm. after very little bit of uh, a <laughs> experience in it, um, I feel as if my role is to it's a guide. Um, so I'm hoping to guide them in a way. Um, it, also to like not every uh, color guard director that I will come into contact with, with any kind of, uh, uh, you know, commentary, or even sitting down with them at a critique table is going to have the same resources as another, you know, some, some of them are straight out of high school and they're maybe teaching their high school guard. And then some of them um, maybe, you know, aged out of a top five drum corps, you know, have good friends who design and like know how to cut music and things like that. So, you know, I, I, hopefully I'm meeting people where they are in their design and um, directing a career and, you know, hopefully facilitating like their next steps, because um, I think that's a huge deal for most people because like, honestly, listening to the tapes, especially when I was younger, man, um, listening to tapes and some of the words that would come out, I was like, you know, pause, I got to go look up what this, what this word means. Especially if you're new, you don't
1: necessarily know
3: all the jargon. Exactly. And so, and that's hopefully become a resource for those, for those folks. And, you know, they can come back and listen to their tape again and be like, okay, that's what she meant meant or what have you. Um, so honestly, I just hope that it is a it's an it's a teaching tool for the teachers.
1: Mm, that's a great point. I think people miss that. You know, I think people get very it's and, and it makes sense because you know, some some situations are more competitive than others. Sometimes you're judging smaller groups in less experienced groups or real experienced groups, and it, it varies. So I think I would imagine, not being an adjudicator myself, but I would imagine that you know it's a pretty heavy responsibility because you're trying to give that constructive, productive feedback Mm -hmm. while still assessing the performance you just saw. And I'm sure that that kind of pulls on both sides of your brain a little bit and trying to make sure you achieve that, that goal. I would imagine, Nicole, am I, am I in the right arena with that?
3: You completely are because I've said it on this podcast before. I am a, I have ADHD. Um, and so I have to look at things in the macros because if I'm just zeroing in on one thing, that's why I do like G E and D A. Um, when I zero in on one thing, something over here could happen and I'm like, Oh, squirrel, you know? So mm-hmm. sure. you know, I like to see how the whole picture blends itself in together. Like, why is this happening all the way over on the right side and this happening on the left side? Um, And and even, you know, even with a small group or with a bigger group, those things are still important, right? Those two things are still important, you know? So... Oh gosh, I hope that answered the question I'm going
1: to dance. No, That's great. <laughs> I don't I don't think anybody's being graded on their responses to I think we're good. You know, we're just having a chat. It's no big deal. I was just curious, you know, I've never I've always felt very intimidated by the the judges and their coats and fancy hats sometimes and what they're you know, and thinking that maybe I wasn't, you know, capable of being a judge, but it's, it's clearly important when we're in a competitive activity, we need, we need to be evaluated. We need feedback and we need to, you know, grow each week. Um, I, I think that it's, I think more judges and adjudicators would do well to remember that part. And I think, remember the part about teaching teachers, you know, it's, it's, Reminding them of what what we're here for, and it's the students in the activity, right? You know, it's not just about who's in charge or who's at the top, but producing and getting the best performances we can out of our students. Mm -hmm. Jackie, I'm sure you you probably experienced that too.
2: Yeah, I definitely. It's it's been kind of uh, crazy going from like the local small school marching band circuits, and then going to like the judges' training, which I know, Nicole, you're going through your DCI and everything. I've went through the U.S. Bands Mm -hmm. circuit and did my judges training through that. And it's, it's such a different way to look at it, because you do still want to educate, but you have to also make sure that you're doing that evaluation side of it, and that you are ranking those bands and scoring them, because at the end of the day, that's kind of the the purpose and what the judge was position was created for. Um, I, however, like, since there's so many scholastic groups that are involved with this stuff, you know, they really, that education side is so important. And and there's there's not a lot of um, professional development for uh, directors in the marching activity in no. particular. So All I, of that is so based on experience. Yes, exactly. Uh, it's and, all experience. And Nicole, I love that you're doing it because I, I have to say like, I like I said, I've judged and like I have judged so many times and I can literally remember in the last maybe five or 10 years, one female judge that I was on a panel with where I, there was one panel where I was not the only female on that panel. <laughs> wow. When I started doing my
3: WGIe adjudicate, I went on a, 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 a hunt for for other female judges and but not just for other female judges period because there are other Mm -hmm. ones but I mean specifically in color guard and not only in color guard but in uh DCI you know what I mean and not it it, 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 even in WGI there's not that many at all and um you know just like Dr. Knopp was saying earlier like again representation is so important Because the majority of those kids that are performing are women. I mean, you know, are yeah. female, and they're going to be looking up at us. Um, you know, like the whole reason why I do it too, female. There's not. I don't see. You know, I'm usually in a room with a lot of people who are my photo negative. So, you know, I want to be that that other thing that you know, the other kids will see. Um, but also, too, there is a. Uh, You know, you, you just want to see it through different people's eyes and you want to hear what everybody else thinks too. Like, there's going to be a different way that this person is going to say, you know, what this person well, this other judge is thinking as well. So I think it's very important that we have that representation out there. We have that point of view out there. Um, And we have that,
2: all of that uh, commentary too, all that information. Bravo. Yes, definitely. For sure. I love it. I love that so much. Um, thank you so much, Nicole, for this, you know, and, and thanks to our other guests, even though they had to leave already, but it was such mm-hmm. a, a, a valuable episode today. I feel like all of our discussions have been so, so uh, rich with, you know, entertainment, but also education and just a, a great perspective on what it's like to be a female in the mar- marching arts. Um, we hope that you, found your time with us to be worthwhile and uh tell a friend share a link on social media get the word out don't forget we have a scholarship going on and a uniform giveaway and uh everybody have good good luck on your run this week and we'll see you next time bye everybody